tonight, I want to talk to you about the importance of the incarnation. Oftentimes, we come to celebrate this little baby in a manger, and when we talk about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we often highlight as believers and make sure that people understand that that baby there in that manger is God. We want to highlight his deity. And he is. He is God. That little baby, Jesus, in that manger is God in the flesh. But tonight, I don't want to highlight his deity. What I want to do for us is I want to highlight his humanity. You see, that little baby who was laid in a manger is fully God and fully man. He was fully God from all of eternity. Before time even began, Jesus was. Jesus was God. Listen to what John 1.3 says. All things came into being through him, and apart from him nothing came into being that has come into being. Which means that if all things came into being through him, he already was. And he has been God for all of eternity. He's the second person of the Trinity. God from eternity past. But in the incarnation, Jesus took upon himself flesh. He became a man, just like you and I. And while it is very important that he is God, we believe that, we understand that, we know that he is God, it is just as important that he be fully man. Why is that? Well, tonight I want to give you five reasons why the humanity of Christ is so important. Five reasons. And I want to show you why God the Son, being born to a virgin girl, is so important for us as believers. And so I want to come before you tonight with this question. Why did Christ become flesh? Why did Christ become flesh? Well, the author of Hebrews answers this question for us in Hebrews chapter 2. And so if you have your Bibles, which I hope you do, please open them to Hebrews chapter 2. If you're here and you don't have a Bible, there are some Bibles on the back table over there. You can grab that and take that with you even tonight. That is our gift to you. Hebrews chapter 2 is going to be our text for us tonight, beginning in verse 14. And look at what it says there in verse 14. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. Why did Christ become flesh? Reason number one, to revoke Satan's power over us. To revoke Satan's power over us. Notice what the the author of Hebrews says here. He says, since the the children share in flesh and blood. We would look at this verse and we would ask, well, who are the children? 
Who are these children that this author is talking about? Well, if we were to understand the context of Hebrews chapter 2, back up in verse 13, it says, speaking of Jesus, and again, I will put my trust in him that is in the Father, and again, behold, I and the children whom God has given me. This here is speaking of Christ, who has put his trust in the Father, and then Christ speaks of the children in whom God has given me. And who are these children then? Those are believers. Believers. And so the children here in verse 14 are believers, those who have put their faith in Christ. When you put your faith in Christ, you become a child of God. Now notice what we as children do. It says there, we share in flesh and blood. You and I share in flesh and blood. That is, you and I as believers in Christ, we have a human nature. Every one of us in this room, we have human nature, flesh and blood. But but notice what it says of Christ. He himself likewise also partook of the same. And we might think, well, of course, Jesus became flesh and blood. We understand that, especially when we think about a baby in a manger. We, we think about then his, the, the Passion Week and Christ there on the cross. There he is, flesh and blood. And we might think, wow, big deal, Jesus became flesh and blood. But the words there, share and partook, are two different words in the Greek. The word share there is the word koinonia. Maybe some of you have heard that word before. It means fellowship or to share. And it has the idea of having something in common. That is, you and I have in common flesh and blood. Every one of us does. It's obvious that that, that that's what you and I have in common with one another. But Christ did not koinonia. The Greek word that's used there for partook is a different word. It's the the Greek word mateko, partook. And this has the idea of sharing in something that is not naturally yours. Sharing in something that is not naturally yours. Flesh and blood is naturally ours, but it's not Christ's. It's not naturally his. Remember, he existed for all of eternity. For all of eternity past, Christ has always existed. But he did not exist as flesh and blood for all of eternity past. So he partook of, or he took on flesh and blood, something that was not naturally his. Why did he do it? He did it so that he could die. He took upon himself flesh and blood for the purpose of dying. Look at the middle of verse 14. That through death. That through death. That he he partook of flesh and blood so that he could die in our place as a sacrifice for our sins. Notice what happens though through 
his death. It says that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. Now now listen, what is Satan's weapon that he has been using since the beginning of time? Death. Death is his weapon. Remember the lie that he told to Eve in the garden? What did he say to her there? You surely shall not what? Die. And he used death as his weapon. And what came upon the human race at the moment that Adam and Eve sinned? What was it? Death. Death came. And how powerful is death? It's very powerful. It's a fact of life that every single person dies and no one can escape it. No one can escape death. And while this is implying physical death, it's also speaking of spiritual death here. All men without faith in Christ will die both physically and spiritually and spend eternity in hell apart from Christ. But Christ came so that he might die. And through his death, a perfect sacrifice, his death would revoke Satan's power. And his death would offer life to all of those who would believe. And even though we as believers, we die physically, we are given spiritual life, right? The moment that we receive the gift of salvation is the moment that we received spiritual life. We are no longer spiritually dead, but we are now spiritually alive. We have life eternal because the price for our sin has been paid through the death of Christ. And we have put our trust in him. And therefore, we will also enjoy physical life. Again, in the future, at the resurrection, when Christ comes to resurrect all of those who believe in him. And we will get to live with him forever. Jesus became a man so that he could die and revoke the power that Satan had. And he crushed Satan's head. And now Satan is powerless over those who believe in Christ. Do you realize that, believer? Satan is powerless over your life because your life is in Christ. Our life is in Christ. And he revoked Satan's power. Secondly, Christ became flesh to release death's grip on us. To release death's grip on us. Look at verse 15. And might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. What is the most fearful thing to any unbeliever? You know what the most fearful thing is? Death. Death is the most fearful thing for anyone who doesn't have faith in Christ. That's why the world is able to be controlled the way that it is today. 
With the pandemic, the government has scared everyone with what? Death. You're going to die. And everyone is so fearful of dying, they've got them. And the whole world is able to be shut down because of the fear of death. Think about that. No one wants to die. And it's the greatest fear in people's lives. Except for our lives as believers, right? We have no fear of death. None. Christ became flesh to die for us so that we might be set free from death and no longer have the fear of death. And we're now able to say with Paul in 1 Corinthians 16, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? For an unbeliever, death is the most frightening and fearful thing. Because if they die without placing their faith in Christ, they will spend eternity in hell forever. And if you're here tonight and you have not repented of your sin and put your faith in Jesus Christ, I invite you to do that now. He offers the gift of eternal life to you today. And God is saying to you, come to me. Christ is saying, I was born in the flesh and I paid for your sin on that cross through my death. And if you will repent of your sin and put your faith in Jesus Christ, you can leave here tonight with the greatest gift of all. The greatest Christmas gift ever. The gift of eternal life. Come to Christ today. Because if you don't, and you die in your sin, you will spend an eternity in hell forever. And for us as believers, death does not scare us, right? It doesn't scare us. We have been set free from death, and we've been released from the death that used to hold us down when we were unbelievers. We now have life. We have spiritual life. And we will one day have physical life in a glorified, resurrected body. And it's all because Christ became flesh and went to a cross to die for us. Third, Christ became flesh to render help for us. To render help for us. Look at verse 16. For assuredly, he does not give help to angels, but he gives help to the descendants of Abraham. Notice the author of Hebrews makes a difference between angels and us. There's a difference here between the angels and between you and I. First, he says that Christ did not give help to the angels. Why would that be? Why would Christ not give help to the angels? Because they don't need help. Angels are perfect. They don't need any help. While they are created beings, they are sinless, unlike you and I, who are sinners. And while that would have been a humbling act for Christ to take on the nature of an angel, because they are lower than he is, 
for him to take on the nature of an angel would have been a humbling act for Christ, but he didn't do that. What did he do? He went lower. Christ went even lower than the angels, and he took on the nature of mankind, of you and I. And so it says, Christ gives help to the descendants of Abraham. Who is that? It's you and I. That's you and I. You might ask, well, aren't the descendants of Abraham just the Jews? Yes. The Jews are physical descendants of Abraham. But believers are spiritual descendants of Abraham because we have been made righteous through faith just as Abraham was made righteous through faith. Listen to Galatians 3.29. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to promise. Are we physically Abraham's descendants? No. Unless you're here and you're a Jew. But those of us that are Gentiles, we are not Abraham's descendants. But we are descendants of Abraham through faith in Christ. Just as Abraham believed in God and it was credited to him as righteousness, so it is with those who believe in Christ. And because we are Abraham's descendants, then notice what it says there. Christ helps us. Christ helps us. That word help there has the idea of taking one by the hand or to draw one to oneself to help or to be concerned about. And in the Greek, it's in the present tense, which indicates that it is a continuous action of Christ. Which means Christ always continually is concerned about and giving help to those who belong to him. Do you realize that, believer? He's concerned about you. Always continuously concerned about you and ready to give you help. Christ, right now, as our Savior, is concerned about us. And he understands us because he became a man like us. And so he's concerned about us as his children, and he's here to offer us help. Whenever you need it, Christ is there to help you. Fourth, fourth reason that Christ became flesh, is to reconcile sinners like us. To reconcile sinners like us. Look at verse 17. Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Notice that word, therefore, at the beginning of verse 17. That is a, it's a further explanation of the help that he's just talked about in verse 16. And notice it says that Christ had to be made like his brethren in all things. What is he talking about? He's talking about his flesh and blood. That is, Christ had to take on humanity, his human nature. Christ had to take on a human nature. Why? So that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. Now, what was the job of the high priest? 
We go back to the Old Testament and we understand the Levitical priesthood there. What was the job of the high priest? The job of the high priest was to act as a mediator between God and Israel. Between God and the people of the nation of Israel. That was their job. That was their duty. Was to act as their mediator. And on the day of atonement, he, that high priest, was the only one who could go into the Holy of Holies. In the temple. In the presence of God. And he was the only one that was allowed to do that on that one day, the day of atonement, to go and make atonement for the sins of the people. And he would go in there and he would sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat, representing the sacrifice that was given for the sins of the people. But listen to this, when the high priest made atonement for the sins of the people, it did not save the people from their sin or forgive their sin. Because those were simply animal sacrifices. It was the blood of an animal sacrifice that he went and sprinkled on the mercy seat. And we know Hebrews 10.4 says, For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. What could take away sins? Only a human sacrifice could accomplish the forgiveness of sins. But not just any human sacrifice, a perfect human sacrifice of someone who was without sin. And that was Christ. Christ did that when he took on flesh and became our perfect high priest who became a man and who made atonement for our sins by his death on the cross. And his death was sufficient enough to take away our sins. Not just to cover our sins, but to remove them far from us. That's what Christ accomplished when he became flesh. And so he helped us by taking our sins away. Notice what it says there, that he is our merciful and faithful high priest. He knew our helpless state as sinners. He knew every one of us was in a helpless state, in a state that none of us could do anything about. And so him, out of his mercy, he showed mercy and compassion and he became a man so that he could go to a cross and die as our sacrifice. Not only is he merciful, but notice there he is also faithful. That is, he is dependable and trustworthy. And he accomplished everything that he came to do. There wasn't anything that Christ did not accomplish that he came to do when he walked those 33 years on this earth. He accomplished it all. And he helped us by accomplishing salvation for us. Something that none of us could do for ourselves. Notice at the end of verse 17 there, it says, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. He also helped us by making propitiation for us. There's a word, memorize it. Put that in your head, propitiation. Say it over and over on your car ride home. It's a wonderful theological word that should make us rejoice when we hear this word, propitiation. What does propitiation mean? 
It means a sacrifice that bears God's wrath to the end and in so doing changes God's wrath toward us forever. Here's a simple definition of it. Through Christ's sacrifice, God's anger is turned away from us. You see, through Christ's sacrifice, God's anger towards sinners like us was not only satisfied, but it was also turned away from us. And now he finds favor in us. God's anger, though, was toward us when we were walking in our sins. God is angry with the wicked every day. And those who have not repented of their sin and placed their trust in Him are under God's wrath right now. If you are here tonight and you are not a believer in Christ, you are under the wrath of God. And let me warn you, And let me tell you, you do not want to be under the wrath of God. Because hell is for eternity. And he will send everyone who is under his wrath to an eternal hell. But he also gave you a savior. Who could deliver you from your sin. So that you would no longer have to be under his wrath and so that you could be saved from his wrath and be in heaven for all of eternity with him. Christ is our propitiation. Christ has satisfied that wrath, the wrath of God, by taking God's wrath upon himself as he died there on that cross. And what then is the result of that? God is no longer angry with us. God is no longer angry with his children. You see, before we were saved, we were enemies of God. Every one of us in this room, before you believed in Christ, you were an enemy of God. But because Christ took on flesh and died in our place and satisfied God's wrath as the sacrifice for our sins, we are now children of God, friends of God, and no longer enemies of God. And now God looks favorably toward us because of what Christ did on our behalf. And the result is that through faith in Christ, you and I as believers in Christ have been reconciled to him. We're now his children. And he looks favorably upon us. And all of that was accomplished when Christ took on flesh and became a man like us. Finally, number five. Christ became flesh to relate sympathetically to us. To relate sympathetically to us. Look at verse 18. For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. Listen, you and I are tempted every day, right? Every one of us. We are tempted every day. Christ was also tempted He was tempted in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. We read about that in Matthew 4. But he was tempted in ways that you and I cannot comprehend. 
because every one of his temptations went to the fullest extent without him ever giving in. Do you realize that? He was tempted to the fullest extent of every temptation that came at him. It was to the fullest extent, and he never once gave in to his temptation. That's why it says he was tempted in that which he has suffered. You see, you and I are tempted, and oftentimes what do we do? We give in. We give in to our temptation. Our flesh is weak, so we give in. But when Christ's flesh was weak, when he was hungry, he was tempted by Satan to turn the stone into bread and eat. But what did he do? Did he succumb to the temptation of Satan? He didn't. And then when he was tempted to throw himself off the pinnacle of the temple to get Jesus to put God to the test, Christ would not succumb to Satan's temptation. And then Satan, as the ruler of this world, offered the whole world to Christ. It's as if Christ, or as if Satan was offering a way for Christ to bypass the cross. I'll give you the whole world if you just bow down and worship me. And Jesus, you won't have to go to the cross if you'll just bow down and worship me. But did Christ succumb to Satan's temptation? He never did. Not once. And so Christ understands our temptation. When you are tempted, Christ understands exactly what you are going through. He knows what it's like to be tempted. But every temptation that came at him, he always overcame it. And how did he do that? Well, you might be thinking, well, duh, it's because he's God. That's how he overcame his temptation. I'm not God, he is. How can I overcome my temptation? I'm not God. But listen to what Warren Wiersbe says. He says this, We must not think that Jesus used his divine powers to overcome the enemy, because that is just what the enemy wanted him to do. Jesus used the spiritual resources that are available to us today. Here's what they are. Listen, believer. The power of the Holy Spirit of God and the power of the Word of God. That's what Christ used to overcome that temptation. That was the spiritual resource that he went to, which is available to you and I today. Jesus didn't once succumb to temptation. Jesus, in his life, he he totally submitted his entire life to the will of the Father. He was totally dependent upon the Father. In everything that he said and everything that he did, he was completely and totally dependent upon the Father. And he relied upon the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Word of God. And we see that even in his temptation. What did Jesus quote? What did Jesus use against Satan? The Word of God. He quoted the Word of God. 
He knew the Word of God. He relied upon the Word of God. And He shows us that we can overcome temptation because we have the same resources available to us today too, right? We have the power of the Holy Spirit living within us and we have the Word of God that we can go to. We have every spiritual resource that we need to go to to overcome temptation in our life. Christ was tempted, and he was tempted, listen, as a man, as a man. Just like you and I are tempted, Christ was tempted, and so he is able to sympathize with us when we are tempted as well. Only he shows how we can overcome that temptation and not give in to our sin. Listen, church, is it important that Christ is fully God? Yes, it is. Is it important that Christ is fully man? Yes, it is. And I hope that you can see that now. And why Christmas is so important to us as believers. This is why this holiday is so special for you and I. Because Christ became a man. God, the second person of the Trinity, took upon himself flesh. Fully God and fully man. And he did it so that he could save sinners like you and I. May we remember this as we celebrate Christmas tonight and tomorrow. Let's pray. Father, we're amazed, amazed at your perfect plan to save sinners like us. We're amazed at the humility of Christ, who although he was fully God, he took upon himself flesh and became a man to die for sinners like us. Father, we rejoice and we thank you this Christmas season, this Christmas time for the birth of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who took upon himself flesh for a purpose of going to the cross to die as a sacrifice and to take your wrath upon himself so that all of those who believe in him would never have to endure your wrath. What an amazing, amazing Savior we have. Father, I pray that this would be on the forefront of our mind as we celebrate Christmas tomorrow morning, as we wake up. May we be reminded of how awesome and amazing our Savior, Jesus Christ, is. And may we live for his glory and for his honor alone, we pray in his name. Amen.